Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 65. The popularity of Python is continuing to grow. Developers across the globe are embracing the language. How is Python being used in all of these different countries? And how does an organization like the Python Software Foundation work toward the goals in its mission statement for supporting and growing this international community? This week on the show, we have Marlene Mangami, a PSF board member and part of the Diversity and Inclusion Workgroup. Marlene lives in Zimbabwe on the continent of Africa. She has been organizing events not only locally in Zimbabwe, but across all of Africa. She is the chair of PyCon Africa and has given talks at PyCon US, PyCon UK, and PyCon India. She has been working locally as an organizer and educator, and we talk about the challenges of teaching technology and programming to a population of young people. And some of these students don't have access to computers. She's also currently pursuing a computer science degree with the University of London. As a student, she's also interning with NVIDIA and working with them on the Rapids project. On a programming note, we had some initial noise with Marlene's microphone, but we did get it resolved about halfway through the episode. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean's app platform. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Marlene, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I have a whole bunch of interesting topics I wanted to dive into with you. It was really fun running into you sort of virtually at the tables at right. uh, PyCon. <laughs> yes, it was very, very cool. I spotted you and like a couple other people like Ricky and Jim, I think, from the Real Python team. So it was really cool to, to see you virtually. It was really kind of a fun setup. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd done something similar at PyCascades, but this was kind of an interesting way they limited the table sizes and, and stuff like that and allowed for kind of interesting, engaging conversations, depending on you know, what you were interested in getting into. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And I liked the format that you could. I hadn't actually, like I was at PyCascades, but I didn't do any of the interactive things. So this is kind of, for me, my first experience of like actually talking to people virtually, which is really nice. Yeah. It's been nice to slowly come out of our shells. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I wanted to kind of dive into is your relationship with the, the PSF. You're a PSF board member, but also a, a vice chair. Can you tell me a little bit about what those are and, and what, what you do for the PSF? Right. So the PSF is, I think it sounds, the positions sound more intimidating than they actually are, but like the PSF is uh, the Python Software Foundation. So it is the nonprofit organization that's behind Python. So whether that's protecting Python's trademarks or and organizing sort of like grants to give to communities, the PSF also runs PyCon US. And we also do a lot of things like just discussing different policies on how to better serve the Python community around the world. And so for me, I've been on the board for almost for for about four years now, I'm going into my fifth year on the board, which is which has been fun, but that's great, <laughs> a lot. And I, yeah, so basically, I am the vice chair for this year, and for the most part, I just kind of represent, I would say, just an international voice in terms of trying to help the board with. I'm very interested in diversity issues. Um, and trying to make sure that we're serving the, the sort of underrepresented parts of our community from different parts of the world. So I think, you know, a lot of things to do with just access and, yeah, just sharing sort of my opinions is pretty much what I do. That's cool. I'm, I'm intrigued by just 
the global nature of something like a, a, a language and then having an organization that's sort of global also to kind of think about, okay, well, what is happening with the language in different parts of the world and, and kind of keeping on top of it. It's so easy to be sort of focused, uh, especially with the sort of growth of the tech sector during the 2000s here in the U S and, and, right. and so forth and starting to see, Oh, there's these huge areas of that in other parts of the world. And then with Python being such a, a language for so many different purposes, being it mm-hmm. for science or, or education and just sort of like computer literacy, I can see the importance of that. And I wonder about that, like how, how, how strong is the presence of, of Python in Africa and, and maybe Zimbabwe in particular? Right. Yeah, definitely. I think that Python is like, like, I think in the Stack Overflow survey, it's been voted several times now. I think since I've been on the board, it's always the most popular language in the world. So in terms of popularity, it's like right up there. And I think Zimbabwe is definitely on that list in terms of the popularity of Python. We actually have a, a Zimbabwean Python, like Python community. I call I call us Pythonists. I think other people also call us Pythonistas, but like yeah. I don't think anyone from Zimbabwe calls us Pythonistas, except for maybe like <laughs> five of us um, and like me. <laughs> um, but I know that like we have like a, a good community locally in Zimbabwe using Python. I think initially when I first joined the community and, and attended my first PyCon Zim, I remember hearing like a lot of people mainly using it as a scripting language, but like there has been a growth of like different sectors. So I think Django is being used a lot. So there's lots of Django developers locally. And yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really, really grown. And I would say that the community here is also quite large. It's not as active as like in places like Nigeria. Like I think about Nigeria and on the continent of Africa and how much Python is being used there. And and it's definitely much bigger, but I definitely think in terms of popularity across the continent of Africa, Python is really popular. So when you look at, you mentioned um, <laughs> Pi Zimbabwe or how, how is it pronounced? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, the Python community in Zimbabwe. We don't actually have a name like, the local community here we just have a whatsapp group at the moment okay we used to have like a pycon well we actually do have a a pycon but it's not the pycon was canceled for i don't think we had one last year and i don't think we had one i don't think we're gonna have one this year as well okay but we do have a pycon that that's local in zimbabwe yeah well i mean there's across the continent and it seemed like over the last three four years you've been traveling across Africa and, and mm-hmm. visiting a lot of those other ones. Like I saw one for, uh, there's a couple different talks right. <laughs> <laughs> of different ones. And yeah, the Nigeria the one. Nigeria, yeah. Namibia is, I've also been yeah. there quite a bit. I've been to Ghana, the Ghanaian uh, PyCon community yeah, is really okay. strong. I also was the chair of PyCon Africa for the inaugural conference, uh, which was in 2000 and, uh, which was in 2019. And then the 2021. So that's like the annual gathering of the Pan-African Python community. So for all of us across the continent, it's like the one conference we have a year. And so I was really stoked to be able to be the chair of that for the past two years. So that's been really, really fun. Is there one, I don't know if you can speak of it yet, uh, is there one planned for 2021? There is not one planned for 2021. And I don't know, like, I think we should be announcing that soon. So hopefully, I'm sure this will go out before, <laughs> um, like after we've announced announced it. But I don't think we aren't going to have a PyCon this year for PyCon Africa. I think just because, it, one, I think we are really trying to figure out how to connect more with local Python communities um, in really tangible ways. So we're, we're trying to create sort of an organizing body, I think, that will be able to help, you know, connect with local communities and also serve those communities as well. And yeah, and I think we have decided that we want to focus on that this year. I'm not the chair this year as well. 
Yeah, I think last year when we ran it online, when we ran Pike on Africa online, it was a lot of work and it was really difficult to be honest. <laughs> it was very difficult because Africa, I think, has a lot more challenges when we talk in terms of connectivity. Sure. I think not everyone is able to stream a conference because that takes your internet has to be good. You have to have like, you know, either like Wi-Fi, proper Wi-Fi, or you have to have lots of data. And that's something that's a challenge to some communities. And so uh, it was quite difficult, I would say. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. That kind of leads me into a question I have that built on top of the idea that you're you know, sort of changing your focus a little bit about engagement within, you know, more localized communities. And I feel like maybe that's how you started. You had gone to university. Right. And then when you kind of came back to Africa, you kind of got a little more involved in, in Python. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that and then yeah, kind of sure. how that translates into um, what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, so I was, I have been in the past, you know, I don't know how many years ago now, <laughs> I went to the States and I was in Pennsylvania and Indiana as well for a bit. And I was studying molecular biology with initially, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor. And then lots of things that happened that just changed my mind. I discovered I don't like blood. <laughs> Uh, me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not the it's not the nicest thing to be seeing on a regular basis, and yeah, I also am not a big fan of cadavers and things like that as well. And I, and so I came back. I remember there was a, su a summer where I came back home to Zimbabwe, and I was really kind of thinking about what do I actually want to do with my life? What what do I want to actually do? What do I enjoy doing as well? And so. There were lots of different things that I, I just decided I wanted to explore. And so I kind of gave myself a year to just focus on trying things out. And I, I remember I started just like we through all, uh, it was, it's kind of a very long story, <laughs> but I started a nonprofit organization called Zimbo Pie that the purpose of that organization was to teach girls how to code in Python. And, you know, the goal of that was I wanted to do something that I felt was connected to my local community that I felt was serving my local community and kind of just, you know, giving young girls who, you know, I felt didn't have access the same access that I saw in the United States, like when I went to the States, I saw that, okay, wow, you know, there's so much access to education, there's so much access to knowledge, and I had met so many people who were creating things. And I felt that when I was back home in Zim, that that same access was not available to Zimbabwean girls. I mean, it's it's also boys as well, but like I was thinking about myself <laughs> and thinking like a couple of years back, you know, would I ever have known that I could code in at all? Like, did I, would I have access to that knowledge to know that I could actually do something like computer programming? And I felt that that was missing in my local community. And so kind of focused on that and yeah, and created this really cool nonprofit with some, some friends of mine. So I, I wonder about the types of things that you would teach mm -hmm. someone who, you know, they're completely new to the idea of, yeah. of really even computing. And mm -hmm. I, I think you mentioned this in your real Python interview, how, right. you know, any kind of computer classes that you had before were more focused on like general applications, like this is word, this is Excel, mm -hmm. this is, this is a computer um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it has storage, it has a peripheral, it connects to the internet, you know, like the generic, you know, like computer literacy more than like anything mm -hmm. to do with it. So I can imagine if maybe that's the baseline that you're, you're working with mm -hmm. jumping into, okay, let's create something with a, a programming language. Um, right. So what are the types of things that you would teach them? Yeah. So I think, you know, we got to a point where we were, you know, we were, connecting with girls from sort of the high density areas in 
in Harare. Okay. And so a lot of these girls, when they came in, they had like literally never been able to touch a computer before. And so, like, everyone has phones, so they were, like, taking selfies with the computer, which was really kind of this weird moment for me to see. But, you know, they, so a lot of it was just starting at that baseline of that same thing that I was talking about in the the interview of, like, teaching them this is what a computer is, you know, this is, these are sort of the basic things to get started with a computer. And then also from there, then just building those basic building blocks of then going into the programming, something that we really uh, did to kind of introduce some basic programming concepts was to, to introduce hardware. Okay. So we did use Raspberry Pis and things like that, just to make it, I think, more engaging when we were, you know, sort of, sort of teaching and things like that. That's something that we used as well. But mainly it was it was really starting from the basics of yeah, just just introducing them to the world of computers. I think of the Django Girls project as a tool that a lot of communities all over the world have used as a you know not only a platform of tutorials but also as a way to kind of get um, kids interested because mm-hmm. at that point they've created something that then is up on the web. Mm-hmm. You know, again, that's another limitation potentially, depending on you know where you're geographically and mm-hmm. you know the kind of situation as far as you mentioned the disparity of potentially you know having internet or not having it and and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but if everybody has a phone, then they could kind of share their work online is something I think right, would be right. kind of exciting too. Is is that something you explored also? Yes, we definitely like the first things that we were when we were initially introducing them to Python was the Django Girls curriculum, which is great because it's free online and it's super accessible. And I think it's presented in a format that's really easy to follow. And so, yes, we did do a lot of work with the Django Girls curriculum and just following that. And I thought that was, um, yeah, the girls were able to make their own websites and things like that. And I think that was something that was also very exciting. So yeah, definitely Django Girls is 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 fantastic. Cool. The the types of phones and stuff they have are are completely like they can get to the web and, and check out other sites and, and do that sort of stuff, right? It's we definitely had um so at first we we so there were definitely there were two groups of girls that we were we taught. So there's one group of girls that could, you know, had Android phones that are like coming from, you know, middle class, upper class, uh, Zimbabwe, where they have smartphones, they do go home and they, they can, they do have internet. Okay. So at home they could, you know, play around and also upload, uh, their websites and do whatever they, they wanted. And just, you know, that was fantastic. But we definitely had also another group of girls that we were working with that was in another part of the city as well. That's the that's the group I was talking about that didn't have as much access, and they, you know, they did have like phones that had a camera and things like that. But I wouldn't say they had like a lot of access to the internet. Uh, in terms of like, even when we we would host a club, an after school club, where these girls would would come, we would work with one of we worked with one of the local community centers. And they would come to this community hall and we would have, like, we got some amazing donations of laptops from GitHub and from different people who just wanted to to help with the program. And so the girls would come there and work on, on the Django Girls curriculum, work on different things at this community center. But oftentimes they would go home and, you know, they don't have internet at their houses. They don't have like, yeah. I don't think they're using data on their phones to like explore coding. I just don't think that like it's also expensive and things like that. So lots of challenges. Like I think I'm not going to lie. I think like, well, I, t- I took a break because I was surprised by how many challenges there were yeah. that I definitely was not prepared for. And it's definitely something that I'm hoping to, like, re- like I, 
I think for a while, my focus has been on the international Python community for the past couple, for the past year and a half or so, like the international community and the African community. But I'm definitely getting to a point where I feel like I want to go back to focusing on the local. And and I think I have a, a bit more knowledge now and a bit more wisdom about how I would go do so certain things, <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of work. It's really tough to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about all those challenges. I, I had a very, I don't know, not similar, but like a, a unique kind of experience when I, I moved to Hawaii briefly and I was looking for work and I worked for the boys and girls club there mm-hmm. and I was teaching sort of video editing and some of these other like kind of tools that this it was like a middle school in in Hawaii, and so a lot of these kids didn't again didn't have computers at home either, mm. and so it was one of these experiences of like, you know, teaching them what's possible with computers. And, and yeah, my background was audio and video and and that sort of stuff, and so kind of giving them an idea of what they could create. Mm. And it it it's frustrating if, if the person isn't going to be able to go home and 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 work with it. It'd be like mm. you know teaching somebody piano or guitar and them not having the instrument they would you know, have to wait an entire week to come back to yeah. get back to, to messing with it. So I wonder about like, even if providing books mm-hmm. or other resources like that yeah. helps in those sort of situations. Um, I'm yeah. sure those are the challenges you're thinking about all the time. Yeah, absolutely. We had like a bunch of, we did get some really great donations of books okay. from the Django community where the girls were able to take books home and kind of study those books through like study using books. And so that was really a positive thing as well. I definitely think books are a great way to kind of bridge that gap as well. So I would definitely, if I could go back, I would have invested more in, in books (laughs) as well, but we did get some great donations. Sort of this introduction to Django. We also had two scoops of Django uh, as well donated, like a couple of those books. So there was a lot of really great input from the community. Uh, but I do think books are a great way to bridge that gap. DigitalOcean's app platform is a new platform as a service solution to build modern cloud native apps. With app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let App Platform do all the heavy lifting related to infrastructure. Get started on DigitalOcean's App Platform for free at do.co slash realpython. That's do.co slash realpython. Over the last several years of doing what you've been doing with the PSF, mm-hmm. what are some of the other challenges that you've been approaching you know across the whole community of of uh you know sort of the global as you know before you've now kind of refocused to local right um, what were some of the things that you were focusing on for the, for the PSF right so i definitely feel like in terms of the international community there's a bunch of different challenges i would say that we face i think that python because it was created in, uh, I'm not sure where Guido actually created it, whether it was in Europe, because I know he's, he was from Europe, and then I guess he moved to the United States. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I need to fact check sure. <laughs> that. Yeah. But uh, it was created in that region. And because of that, I think the nucleus of, of Python has always been in the United States and Europe. And even when we look at the membership of the Python Software Foundation, the PSF, it's mainly from that region. When you look at the core developers in terms of technical leadership for the language, it's mainly in those areas again. And so last year, when the PSF had, we had our elections again, and there were a lot of fantastic candidates that were running from different parts of the world because I think the PSF, you know, part of the mission of the PSF is to help to support the growth of an international and diverse community of Python programmers. And so I know that for a couple of years, a lot of the board was doing outreach in different parts of the world, whether that was our work in Africa, whether that was our work in Latin America and just different areas in Asia. There's so many, there's lots of community members out in Asia. 
And I think last year we had a lot of people running for the Python Software Foundation Board of Directors, but from those different countries, but they, you know, they ran, but they weren't elected into, into office. Um, and we had, I think it, you know, everyone that was elected ended up being from the US or Europe. And so I, I do think that there's like some challenges uh, in terms of getting representation from the global Python community into that center of, of the Python space. So whether that's on the Python board of directors, whether that's on uh, the technical side with core development or, or whatever it is, I think one of the major challenges that we're facing is trying to make sure that you know, Python is being used everywhere around the world how can we make sure that we have some good representation so we're able to serve all the areas where people are using Python and not just the United States and Europe? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So it seems like kind of a two-prong issue mm. in the sense that you need to get people to want to be to follow the path to get more involved with the PSF, right. but then you also need the population that is the voting members of that to uh, mm-hmm. to elect those people. So that does sound like quite the challenge. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, there's an election even coming up soon. I think the next election is this is in June, and I think it's been difficult to. I think it's it's, it's one of the challenges is there are fantastic people from the United States and Europe who worked who've done so much work for the python community every single person on the board right now i would say has contributed so much to the python community and i think that it's really difficult then when you have fantastic candidates who the membership at the moment is still i would assume that the membership is still mainly from the united states and europe we're trying to get more demographic data on that. By the way, I'm the chair. I'm the new chair of the new diversity and inclusion work group that's trying to work on some of these issues as well and support the PSF in that. But yeah, I think it's difficult to then also convince, you know, some of the people who are PSF members who have only met these people from the US and Europe or have heard of them because, I mean, they're part of their communities. To get those people to vote for someone they haven't met, but who's doing fantastic work maybe in Japan or who's doing fantastic work in Brazil, you know, really convincing those people, those members to vote for those people has been more challenging, I think, than expected. (laughs) Yeah, I could think so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned the term work group and I saw some of that on the the PSF website and Mm -hmm. it seems like they kind of change depending on the needs of the PSF, the, right. the different formations of the of the work groups. Have you been involved in any other work groups or is this the first one you've been working with? So I this is the first work group I've actually been a full a full member of. I have worked with a couple of the other work groups. I mean there's a PSF grants work group that works closely with the board. There is the code of conduct work group as well. Um, but these work groups are basically just a group of people that are focused on on something. They have their own sort of mission and, and goals they want to achieve and trying to achieve those goals in a way to support the PSF board of directors. The work group has been, for me, it's been a really great opportunity to kind of focus in on something that I'm very passionate about and mainly our role is to be an advisory body to the PSF board of directors. Also just to, to have more time to, to focus on doing things like getting more demographic data, connecting with local communities around the world. And, and so those are things we're able to do in a work group context. I would say that I'm not really able to do on the board. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You can kind of get other members kind of involved in very specific areas. Yeah. Um, did you have a talk this year at PyCon 2021? I didn't have a talk. I did do several things. I hosted the diversity and inclusion group. We had a panel session where we were kind of sharing about the goals of the diversity and inclusion work group. And yeah, and that was really fun. I also hosted 
the PSF EMEA members meeting. And then uh, was, yeah, just hanging around the PSF booth. I, did, I, I think this year I was generally, I think in 2021, I've, I've got to the point where I was just like, I think at the beginning of the year, I took a break from applying or giving talks just because I felt very much uh, zoomed out. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I was just like, I think, I think I'm going to take a break this year. But I definitely attended and I thought it was really fantastic. There's so many great talks. That's one of the things I, I kind of like about what I'm doing with the show is that I kind of like it not being video yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Um, yes. You know, it's nice <laughs> to see other people in person also. But I think sometimes uh, it becomes like this whole thing where you're like, you're worried about like, okay, well, you know, how does everything look and, yeah. and, and, and so forth? And what, what can people see about my life? Am I exposing? Exactly. And it kind of has this weird level of uh, exhaustion that, that we've all experienced way too much in the last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been really surprised by how much, like how different it is, like interacting with people online versus in person. I think I'm a really social person and I love meeting new people. So PyCon US, when I was there in person, was amazing for me. I loved like I was like up until late meeting other people and like going to stuff. And like at this year's PyCon, I was just like, because it was the time zones were different for me. So yeah, it was hitting 9 p.m. and I was so tired. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just, just. I don't know. There's just an extra level of energy. I think that you have to bring to Zoom calls or whatever it is, because I I don't even know why it's it's just more draining. I would say, but uh, but it was still fun. Um, but it's definitely different. Yeah, I, yeah, and I can imagine if we were to follow a whole another year of virtual conferences, that I think the, the people might start really waning on them um, yes. because it's just <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, not only for the organizers, just the energy of being in person and putting those kinds of things together is just kind of a very different thing. So I, yeah, I can understand absolutely. that to go back to, to PyCon Africa briefly, mm-hmm. the 2019 one, one of the things I, I think is interesting is just the idea of trying to pull all these sort of disparate communities, you know, which I, I can imagine are very different across the whole continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. Even just the idea of like, like, not having experience of travel traveling in Africa, I, I think about okay, was mm-hmm. everybody able to travel by plane or right. they drive massive distances? Like I don't mm-hmm. even like I don't I don't even know if it's like a train system. <laughs> you know, I, I think of everything very unfortunately, you know, Europe Europe and US centric, like you mentioned, or even you know, having lived in Hawaii, I have a little more experience with like Australia and Japan and, and right. so forth, but I have like no idea of like what is it even like to bring all those people together. Right. It was, it was really, I think that my, the team, the new chair of PyCon Africa is uh, someone called Manny Young. And he is also, I think, the, the head of the Ghanaian Python community as well. Okay. And he was working with me and the team, like we had a fantastic executive committee in terms of executing the, in-person conference and i think that it was difficult to like at first i think it was it was quite difficult to coordinate everyone and i think for myself as well it was just like making this decision because you are when you're running a pycon usually you are not getting paid for it and for me it was completely like a volunt a voluntary thing that i i signed up to do and I knew it was going to take a lot of time, but I didn't know how much, like it's a lot of time and a lot of effort that <laughs> yeah. you have to put in to just organize everything. And it's a lot of fundraising, a lot of trying to convince sponsors to invest in the Python community in Africa. I think that's somewhere that we are still trying to get to. But in general, I think that it wasn't bad. It, travel within Africa is slightly more, I would say it's a bit, it's a bit harder because it is um it is more expensive. Africa is also really big, like it's super super big. So Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it, there is no train system uh that is gonna take you maybe like for me from Harare to to Ghana. 
So a lot of the people that were coming from across the continent had to fly in. And so we did, particularly for the first conference, we did do a lot of fundraising for people to get transportation to be able to get there. But when it was like, I loved it. Like it was, you know, it was very stressful to, to organize, but it was so, so good. I really loved just the mixture of cultures. There's so many similarities, I would say, of people across the continent. And I think that for me, it was fantastic to just connect with people who are interested in Python from different parts of, of Africa and see our similarities and just the way we view things is just very similar as well. And just, yeah, it was just really a good experience, very, very positive experience for me. I love Ghana. I love like the whole Python community, I think across the continent is fantastic. And if anyone is considering coming to Africa, I would say just learn to come for a Python Africa. It's it's really good. Kind of going back to you know, not only the the educational part that we talked about, but also just I, I kind of want to get an idea of of the scope of like what are the types of projects like we mentioned Django several times, mm. but like what are the types of projects that you see across the different countries in Africa mm-hmm. and how they're using Py- Python? Like what like what's that landscape look like? Of like okay. And these people are using it for a newspaper. These people are using it for, you know, a health system or what have you. Like, do you have experience with that? Like, is that something that showed up during the conference? Right. I think I'm trying to think. So during the conference, I think there was a there's a lot of of use of like even when we were reviewing the proposals for the talk proposals. Yeah. There were a lot of proposals on AI and machine learning, and okay. We had a little microphone issue, but we're back. Yes. And Marlene might sound just slightly different, but that's okay. <laughs> yes. We're talking about AI, AI projects uh, across Africa. Right. So, yeah, I think AI is something that has become really, really popular across the continent of Africa. And I think that it's, it's, it's an exciting field for sure, but it's definitely the one, it's the, it's the specific field where we got the most talk submitted. Yeah, and too much of the same thing is going to not be super interesting for the audience after a while. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. We had to look for, but I would say that uh, there were other talks as well. There was one serverless talk. There were some talks on Django, of course. Uh, I think that's really popular. Some talks on Flask as well. I think one talk on Flask. There was a talk on cryptocurrency. I think it was like a a Python and some cryptocurrency talk for sure, uh, which I thought was also very interesting. So yeah, definitely a, a wide variety of, of talks and a, a wide wa- variety of ways people are using Python. But uh, 100% AI and machine learning is uh, the most popular. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It explores a basic building block that many other algorithms are built on. It's titled Introduction to Sorting Algorithms in Python. The course is based on an article by Santiago Valderrama, and in the course, Liam Pulsifer takes you through how different sorting algorithms in Python work and how they compare under different circumstances, how Python's built-in sort functionality works behind the scenes, how different computer science concepts like recursion and divide and conquer apply to sorting, what big O notation is, and how to use it to compare the efficiency of different algorithms. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn how sorting algorithms are structured and how these building blocks work independently, but also how they can be organized to work together and with other algorithms. Our video courses are broken into easily consumable sections. Where needed, we include code examples for the techniques shown, and all the lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the newly enhanced search tool on realpython.com. I don't know if you wanted to dive into uh, your work with d- data science. Did you get into that somewhat through your medical studies and working in data science? 
Uh, no. So I actually, so right now I'm working, I'm interning, I'm still doing school. So I'm interested interning with the Rapids team at NVIDIA. Oh, cool. So I have been working with them as a software engineer and I primarily work on a data science library called Kudiev. And I, I don't do, I actually don't do any data science. I, I know, you know, a, a good amount of data science, but I, I, I mainly engineer like features and do bug fixes. It's an open source project. I'm taking a lot of issues and, and, and kind of working on those, but from an engineering side, uh, as compared to like a data science side. Yeah. I've been talking to a bunch of people about sort of the tooling side mm. of, of, you know, helping the data science scientists be able to do what they do that's really interesting could you maybe dive in a little deeper into that what the rapids project is and then maybe we could talk about i wonder about again going to the hardware thing like what you need in order to to use a library like that sure yes so the rapids project is the goal of the rapids project is to accelerate data science using gpus for anyone that has very large data sets it's going to make your work a lot. I think it should, uh, in most cases, make uh, the work faster for you to, if you if you're trying to do computations or data aggregations or different things like that on your data. The Rapids project will will sort of help with that. So my team specifically with the Kudia Data Frame Library, it's built to mirror pandas. Mm. So anything that you can do with pandas, you should be able to do with Kudia. But the only difference is that your computations are, are going to be done on the GPU. So that's going to make the work that you do much faster. So, yeah, you'll be able to hopefully get, uh, well, in most cases, it's going to make your work faster. And I will say that it's it's for when you have large uh, data sets, that's when you see a significant difference uh, using GPUs as QDF as compared to Pandas, for example. And so, yeah, I think it's a really exciting project and have been really enjoying it. So in in that circumstance, I can imagine there's setting it up on a local you know, workstation mm-hmm. with some particular uh, NVIDIA GPU cards. But is there also part of the program for cloud-based uh, processing? Yeah, definitely. So you can, there are a number of different cloud providers that give you access to a GPU. I know Google Colab does that. If you want to just go ahead and like sort of experiment, Colab has an option to like maybe run a Jupyter notebook, for example, and to work with your data on on Colab with a GPU. I know also a couple other, I think Amazon also has some GPUs that you can work with as well that are all online. And yeah, so I, I do think it's also trying to make uh, GPUs more accessible or that world more accessible to data scientists. Like even if you have just your laptop, you should still be able to run Rapids if you're using things online, even if you just want to experiment. I know that the Rapids site has a collab notebook that's already prepared that you can run oh, cool. right away. I think if there are show notes, we could leave that, I guess, in the show notes. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. But yeah, that's that's definitely something you can do online. I was looking at the blog on the NVIDIA developer site for it and you know, it mentioning um, Google's Kubernetes engine and a bunch of other kinds of interesting stuff. So it seems like a really nice project to kind of get an idea what what you can get in involved with mm-hmm. and, and learn a little more about QDF and, and Rapid. So we'll definitely include links for all that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I have these weekly questions I like to ask everybody and what is something that you're excited about in the world of Python? Well, for that one, I think that I am definitely, I think it's because I've kind of been in this world with Rapids and this world of Python and performance. And so for me, it's been really interesting and really exciting to kind of see the conversations that have been happening about that sort of in different in, in different circles. And like, I remember the, I actually read that this year, Guido gave a talk at the Python Language Summit where he was talking about how 
he wants to, like one of his goals is to increase the speed of CPython by two times. Like, so in, I think the 3.11 release of Python, it's of CPython, Python is supposed to be two times faster, which I think is really cool. And <laughs> I don't know as well if there's just been, because I was also just reading different blogs about the, the language summit and there were so many like discussions about Python and performance that I was pretty surprised about. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I've just not been, I had not been paying attention before or if it's just now that I'm just like more focused on it, but it's been pretty cool to see all the work that's being done to speed up Python. So yeah, excited about that. It really feels like a theme that's throughout um, the Python world right now yeah. specifically. And, and I don't know if it's, Partly the the parser change mm -hmm. is part of it that's allowing new sort of structural things in the language and how the language can be just even parsed that that allows these kind of interesting things to happen. But right. yeah, and then the, like there's a bunch of stuff happening with like little compilers and mm -hmm. other interesting projects. So yeah, it's an exciting time. Like it, who would who would think that you know kind of late in the language development, it's like yeah. oh now we're gonna do this massive speed boost exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Which it, is cool. Yeah, it is yeah. very, it's very interesting and very exciting. Definitely lots of different ways people are doing it, but it's it's cool that it's becoming a, a really hot topic. So very cool. Yeah, nice. Sure. So what's something that you would like to learn next? Well, I mentioned earlier for sure that, well, there are two things actually, I would say. <laughs> On one hand, like okay. just technically speaking, I'm very, I'm interested in learning more about Dask and also, like async is also something I'm a little bit more interested in these days. Okay. Um, and kind of sort of diving into and getting a full understanding of those. But I'm also very interested as well in in learning how to be a better teacher. <laughs> I yeah. So I mentioned earlier before that I would love to kind of get back to a place where I can focus more on my on my local community at some point, uh, or even not just my local community, but in different sort of emerging areas and do more teaching. I would love to kind of figure out how people become good teachers. I feel like I'm an okay teacher, but I think I could be better. So I'm trying to learn that as well, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a real journey. Yeah. I spent 10 years uh, working in a school for recording engineers yeah. and it was very specific domain very specific topics of like digital audio and midi and these things that are you know very technical mm -hmm. focused and i was teaching it to, to students that were much more interested in running into a, a recording studio with a huge console and, <laughs> and playing around in there and i'm trying to teach them about computer concepts and so yeah. it was always a bit of a, a challenge of like you know, a lot of them were post high school also. So it's uh, okay. How do I do infotainment? You know, like it has mm -hmm. to be interesting and exciting. And yeah, it was like a, you know, a bit of a comedy routine at the same time. Yes. <laughs> so that's yeah, there's the a lot thing, of challenges right? to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing, right? You have to like, if you're teaching, you have to be entertaining. Like you need to be engaging for it to be like a good for people to retain the knowledge and people to be interested. And I think like you talked about sort of uh, using hardware and things like that for audio programming and things. I think hardware is a really good, it's a really good way to teach people. Yeah. And I was at the, I got really interested in hardware in like 2018 when uh, Nina gave a talk at, at Python US and she was talking about, um, she was talking about uh, Adafruit and CircuitPython. And I remember I took home like a CircuitPython playground. We got it in the swag bags. But I think that is something I'm also interested in using as a way to teach people hardware to do that because I think it can also make it more engaging. Yeah, definitely interested in that as well. May possibly sound stuff, you know, that seems interesting. Yeah. But it also seems like, it, I don't know how much Python plays into that because I've also seen like a lot of sound people are are super into like low level languages. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> still trying to figure that out. Yeah, I'm right in that 
pocket there too. Yeah. Lucas Longa had a really interesting talk about creating an FM synthesizer, yes. which was really kind of neat. And then I'm kind of finally getting back to electronics. Like I, I took a real long break. Mm-hmm. I, I moved from, I was living in a very dry climate in Arizona and I moved to Hawaii yeah. and I kind of got away from electronics for 10 years, partly because the the climate would just basically destroy everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> it basically would get, you know, like corroded or, um, oh, wow. you know, like aluminum would have pits on it. It's just like <laughs> the sea air was not friendly for oh, <laughs> those kinds of things, which is not, very interesting kind of development. <laughs> yeah, I would never think that. I would not think that at all. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So I I was really into that. And I was like building pedals and building all those kind of things. Huh. And like batteries would corrode within like six months. And you're like, what? No, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> I just looked away and this thing's destroyed. Oh, wow. So I've finally got back into it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's fun about hardware, like like you mentioned, is the idea that you really can teach somebody a handful of things about this piece of hardware Mm -hmm. and they can look at it and go, well, there's like 12 or 24 more little switches and connections on this thing. Well, what do those do? Yeah. You know, and like, and and, and then they can kind of think about, well, what if I, I really like, would like it to do this and they take this ownership of it suddenly. And it's so much less connected to, you know, this sort of like esoteric, mm. like, okay, this is a for yeah. loop or whatever. You're <laughs> really tying list. it to something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're like tying like, oh, well, now I know why I want to iterate yeah. through things. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's very cool. It is, 100%. Yeah, so I like that idea too. And I'm I'm, I'm working on a project right now. It's like a, a foot switch, mm-hmm. which is funny because there's so many different people doing it. But I'm using it as like kind of a music context of like to help you learn how to play or yeah, something um so you can like rewind a video or fast forward a video and, and use it with your feet yeah. so that you can keep your hands on your instrument and, that's amazing and right? then but you could use it for you can use it for whatever you want like i mean there's like all these other interesting projects like you know <laughs> mute my video on zoom yeah <laughs> with <a> foot switch <laughs> that whatever. makes sense that's that's very cool i definitely it's a field it's it's a part of programming that i'm i'm interested in in kind of in in delving a bit more into yeah so i would love to kind of figure out how to do that i've done really really basic things but that sounds really cool um yeah it's fun <laughs> so i would I, i'm hoping to do more hardware stuff and i think i also want to do more hardware stuff like either for teaching or for fun i think i just want to do it just like yeah i don't know <laughs> we'll see it's an interesting hobby you yeah. know it's like you know a lot of people like to build models or build other little intricate things mm-hmm. But it's so much more fun when you can build kind of a little tool that, you know, you can use in other parts of your life. Yeah, definitely. Scratch your own itch on something like that. That's exactly. Neat. The last one is uh, one that I don't ask that often, but I, I, I'm I intrigued to think about it in this case. So what is something, as you've been learning and working through Python, mm-hmm. what is something that you thought you knew and understood about Python, but ended up you were kind of wrong about it? Um. So... Okay, so I've given you two. Again, I will give two answers here. <laughs> that's fine. One that's like really one that's a, a bit more technical, and then one that is not. So the first thing is, I guess, a bit more technical in terms of like I didn't know for some reason. I always thought like async async IO used threads for some reason in my mind, and I found out recently that that's not true. That it doesn't at all. So that was really interesting. I kind of listened to a, I, I've I've been taking a course about it and uh, and and yeah, and just discovered that, which was really interesting. So I don't know if that will be helpful to anyone or not. <laughs> but um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting as well is I was on Twitter today, and I I saw this uh, Brian Oaken. He also has a a podcast. Uh, I think it's called test. It's testing something, but <laughs> um, testing code, test yeah. code. Yeah. yeah, and he tweeted that he, like, he was asking if anyone uses uh, foo, baz, and bar. Right. I think those are yeah. like people in the computer world usually say those, and I've heard them being used, and I see people using them from for variables, and I always thought. 
in Python, I always thought that it uh, came from Monty Python. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, like, for, that's first of all, that's not great because I'm like outing myself that I have not actually watch Monty Python, but I just have watched oh, that's okay. the, <laughs> Yeah, I watched a couple of the not only, trailers. Not only is it is a very old, but it's very, very specific yeah, to English right. culture in a lot of ways. So. Exactly. <laughs> I just have watched the trailers for like a couple of small clips of it and I felt like this looks really unrelatable <laughs> for me. So I have not yet watched Monty Python. But I always thought that that those names came from Monty Python, but they didn't. They actually are, apparently, uh, people were sharing and said that it's actually part of just computer culture. And apparently it was first yeah, used... computer like, science backgrounds, yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> um, apparently it was first used at MIT or something like that. And it's not like I'm studying computer science, but like I've always thought it was a Python thing for some reason. And... Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. I was just like, I was completely wrong about that. Because <laughs> uh, no, it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's not really helpful for anyone. But just no, no, it's it's interesting. Me. I think there may be other people that there's you know there's people that are joining Python every day and they're going to see that out there. And yeah, wonder about it. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of using those sometimes. Um, I think mm-hmm. Davey Amos chimed into that thread also. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of in the same vein that I would rather, as sort of a best practice thing, even as I'm teaching someone uh, Python or teaching them functions, mm-hmm. to name a function foo makes it unrelatable in a certain way. Right. That that it it sort of makes it sort of this mystical thing where maybe a best practice would be to just go ahead and give it a longer name mm-hmm. that actually says what it's going to do, right. like <laughs> print receipt or make, make, you know, make connection or, you know, uh, connect to database or whatever, like, yes. like make it very verby, you right. know, like I feel like functions are doing something. Well, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, and then I, I always would play around if I'm going to make a list of things, I would use the, the, the goofy Monty Python ones of like spam and bacon. And, right. Um, <laughs> lobster or whatever their goofy yes. one that's from and but those to me like feel more like things even though they're food mm-hmm. you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's you know it's a challenge and and definitely computer science has its own weird yeah i don't I th- know sorcery <laughs> wizardry <laughs> wizardry for sure it's definitely something that's just i guess like a cultural thing that is just there in the computer science world but maybe i think yeah. it's just yeah, I think I think it's fine to use it, but for sure, had no idea. I have seen people using it before. Quite often in Python is the main place where I've seen it being used, and just had no idea what people were talking about when they would when they would do. Because some people say it as a joke and then like laugh about it, and then I'm just like, but I can't re- like I'm just like I don't know where this joke is coming from. Yeah, no, it's hard. But <laughs> but generally, yeah, I think it yeah. makes sense for the functions for best practice for to, uh, to probably name them after what they're being used for. But um, yeah, it's very interesting. So something I'm, I've I've been wanting to change uh, about the way I end the show is I've wanted to mm-hmm. kind of like say, okay, are there any final like call outs or social media stuff that you want to to send out for uh, anybody who's checking out the show? Sure. Yeah. Sort of social media and call outs <laughs> section. <laughs> right. Well, for social media, if you'd like, you can follow me at Marlene underscore ZW. I am the main place you can follow me is on Twitter. My GitHub is Marlene ZW. And I also have a website, which is just MarleneMangami.com. So if you look on my Twitter, uh, which is Marlene underscore ZW, you can find my full name there. <laughs> and and it's just that.com. And then I don't know if I, I would definitely recommend if you are interested in data science and GPUs to check out the Rapids library. It's an open source project. So we're always looking for more contributors. and. So if you're interested in sort of that world of data science and GPUs, I would encourage you to check that out. You can take a look at the Rapids project. I think it's rapids.ai is the website. And yeah, also become a member of the PSF. The elections are coming up soon. And if you're a voting member, 
I would definitely encourage you to vote this year. There's some fantastic candidates. So would encourage you to, to, to vote for, for the people that are running this year. Oh, that's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. <laughs> and don't forget, you can get started on DigitalOcean's app platform for free at do.co slash realpython. That's do.co slash realpython. I want to thank Marlene Mongami for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.